Thank you for that prayer. And thank you so much, Allison, wherever you're sitting now, for the music. I really needed that today. There you are. Thank you. Um, and thank you all for being here. This is our last lesson um, for this year, of course. And not only that, it is our last lesson on the Book of Mormon after our two-year course of study. So this is it. Um, so I'm grateful that you are here. You are the, the stalwart that have continued to the end, um, as well as, of course, those who listen online. Um, let me make sure this actually is going to work. We didn't, um, I was tied up, so we didn't test it beforehand. Oh yeah, we're in business. Um, let me just get this started. Okay. All right, I think we've got that. Well, good morning. Glad you're here. Um, this is, I was asked to give a shorter lesson. You just, we, let's all pray right now. Um, and as you can see from the slide, the title of this lesson it is, again, a thematic lesson and a shorter one this time. But it's called Come, to, Come Unto Christ, a theme of the Book of Mormon. And we're going to talk about that today. Now, as I mentioned, of course, this is our last class. And we're finishing two years or two school years of studying the Book of Mormon. Our first lesson on the Book of Mormon, which I had the privilege to teach, was back in September of 2017, if you can believe it. And we've been in the Book of Mormon ever since. If you attended or listened to all of the lessons, I counted them up this morning, you would have come to 64 of them, 64 lessons on the Book of Mormon. And given my proclivity for going over, I think that was roughly 66 hours of actual lesson time. In addition to that, you have spent uh, uh, your own time, I'm sure, reading throughout those two years in the Book of Mormon, hopefully preparing for class. And of course, also during that time, the, at the end of last year, President Nelson issued a challenge to reread the Book of Mormon before the end of the year. And perhaps you participated in that as well, whether it was some or all of the Book of Mormon. So over the past two years, the sisters in the Olympus Stake and those who, who come and visit with us, whom we love, have had ample opportunity, have had a, a marvelous opportunity to study the Book of Mormon again. My, first, my question to you would be, to what effect for you personally? What effect has the, have those 64 lessons, 66 hours, your own reading, and President Nelson's challenge, what effect has that had in your life? Consider that. Um, I am trained in business. I um, have a master's in business. And in the business world, especially in the finance world, we talk about ROI, which means return on investment. Very good. Uh, what return, it's, it's the idea of if we invest this much resource, time, money, etc., expertise from our business into this project or this idea, what return will we get back from that? And then you evaluate that before you take on a project and decide, is this worth my investment? Now in this case, we're looking at it from after, after the fact, ex post facto. What is your ROI? on the time that you have spent studying the Book of Mormon over the past two years. What have you learned and how have you changed? Any responses? Think about it for a second. 
And I think we have the mics. Yeah. Think about it. What is your ROI? And if you feel inclined to share, no one has to. But if you do feel inclined, any thoughts? I think of it as a safety net. Mm. Uh, my daughter has a, a father-in-law who's been a general authority, and when people would come to him who had lost their testimonies, he said, and when did you stop reading the Book of Mormon? Awesome comment. Thank you. That preservation, that, um, what she just described is the iron rod. When t times get tough, you've got to have hold of it. And so it is a safety net. It keeps you on the path. Perfect. I have experienced that in my life hundreds of times. Any others? Anything else that strikes you? Yeah, right, right there. I think just a, uh, a strength and a, mm. a piece of the spirit that's so valuable to me. Yeah. Thank you. Both of you, in a way, are referencing think, this uh, a scripture. It came to mind, at least. First Nephi 15, 24. And he's speaking of that very rod. Nephi to his brothers says, I told them, I said unto them that it was the word of God, and whosoever would hearken to the word of God and would hold fast to it, they would never perish. Neither would the temptations and the fiery darts of the adversary overpower them unto blindness to lead them away into destruction. So that idea of a safety net and a strength. Um, and Helaman 5.12, right? You found upon him, have, they shall have no power over you because you will be more powerful. Thank you. One more, if you have one. Yeah, Anna, coming from behind. Oh, thanks. I marvel at the wisdom that's in the Book of Mormon. Mm. I feel like as I read through it, there, is, uh, there are so many solutions for interpersonal relationships and solutions to the problems of the world, and, um, and they are so different from the solutions that we hear in the world that I feel like they can only come of God and it can only be a book of God. And I, I just am amazed by that. Thank you. Um, oh, there's a comment right next to you. Just to add on to that, I just have been feeling, um, remembering about a year ago, I was recovering from cancer and surgery and that sort of thing. And I remember the doctor wanted me to, to do one more round of chemo. And I, I just, we just didn't know if that was right. And I just felt like, I don't know if my body can do that again. And, and I remember praying so intently and saying, Heavenly Father, please give me the answer. Every day when I read the scriptures, every day when I have a conversation, please just tell me through what I'm reading and hearing. And I was in the war chapters. And fight, every, fight cancer. <laughs> every day when I read, I was given the answer. And I had a really powerful experience in the Book of Mormon that, that week. And I thought, oh, great, I'm in the war chapters, you know. But honestly, Every day I was given the answer of what I should do. Thank you so much. Both beautiful comments. Uh, made me think of 2 Nephi 32, verse 3. Angels speak by the power of the Holy Ghost, wherefore they speak the words of Christ. Wherefore I said unto you, feast upon the words of Christ. For behold, the words of Christ will tell you what? All things what you should do. It answers familial and relationship issues. It answers how to go forward in the face of difficult trials. It answers all things what you should do. 
I actually, I have a, I think it was my mission president told a story, but he said he went to a Sunday school class once and they said, you know, we're, we're really worried about, or we want to do better at relationships in the home and the family. So for this next however long we're going to be studying in this class, we're going to study men are from Mars, women are from Venus. And he was like, we're going to do what? Um, and there was this idea that somehow if we needed to learn about relationships that we had to st study some kind of self-help book. And this scripture came to his mind. It will tell you all things. So you need help in your relationships? Turn to the scriptures. You need to know what to do at work? Turn to the scriptures. And it may not say this is the answer to your financial problem at work, but it will lead you to the spirit. And in that same chapter, the spirit is the other thing that will tell you all things that you can do, you should do. I testify that that is true. Um, any others? Any others that feel they want to share? Okay. Well, I have just a few points. No, I have many points. <laughs> um, and we'll see how far we get. And then you can eat quickly. Just kidding. Don't get mad at me. Please study presidency. Um, so, I like, as I mentioned, um, and I do believe that is true, that the Book of Mormon will tell us all things that we should do. Um, and you, you might remember I quoted once Hugh Nibley, who said that the best thing that we can be doing is reading the Book of Mormon. And he said, because if that's not the best thing for you to be doing, it will lead you to the best thing that you should do. It will tell us all things that we should do, and testify that is true. Now, this semester, I feel like there's one more thing to say there, but I don't know what it is. Anybody else know what it is? Okay. Um, yeah. The word of Christ will tell us all things that we should do, and let us turn to it. I hope that has been true for you this year. I know the ROI for me has been great over the past two years, and what I have been able to learn, and how I have been able to change. The Book of Mormon for me, and the words of God, um, I have that same experience. I frequently will pray and ask for answers, and it is frequent, more often than not, that the answer actually comes as I read my scriptures that as I read that, that God speaks to me that way. You've heard it said that if you want to talk to God, pray, and if you want him to talk to you, read the scriptures. And I know that that is true in my life as well. Now, as you see on the slide, if you um, have listened to or come to all of the lessons, you will have studied every single chapter of the Book of Mormon was included in one of the lessons or, in, or another. In addition, we studied these thematic lessons, introduction to the Book of Mormon, the infinite atonement of Jesus Christ, combating false doctrines in our day, salvation as found in Christ, the power of God's deliverance, instruments in God's hands, heeding the living prophets, living in a day of wickedness, the scattering and gathering of Israel, being even as he is, after the trial of your faith and coming unto Christ, which is today. Um, pulling from the entire Book of Mormon. And so we've covered a broad range of topics, a, broad no a large number of stories, a huge volume of scripture. But what we're here to, to discuss today is that all of those lessons and all of those stories have actually only been one lesson. And they are this, come unto Christ. That is the primary, in my opinion, the primary message of the Book of Mormon. It is come unto Christ. The Book of Mormon is about, about Christ, as Cynthia taught us so well last week. He is the principal figure. If you turn with me, um, we can see that. They, 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 they weren't trying to hide uh, their motive 
in writing in the Book of Mormon, nor were they trying to hide the subject. In fact, they were trying to make it as glaringly obvious as possible. Second Nephi chapter 25, verse 23 says this, for we labored diligently to write the Book of Mormon, or, or their record at that time, to persuade our children and also our brethren to believe in Christ and to be reconciled to be God. I know that it is great by grace that we are saved after all we can do. And now verse 26, and we talk of Christ. We rejoice in Christ. We preach of Christ. We prophesy of Christ. And we write according to our prophecies that our children may know to what source they may look for remission of their sins. He, there is no bones about it. They are not trying to hide it. The point, the purpose, the main character of the Book of Mormon is Christ, and the main injunction and the main invitation is for us to come unto him. They wrote it to Jew and to Gentile. They wrote it to their seed and the seed of their enemy. They wrote it to everyone who would listen. Come unto Christ. That is the message. As we mentioned, as we talked about in the first lesson almost two years ago, the but Christ is named in some form, is mentioned in some form, on average, every 1.7 verses of the Book of Mormon by over 100 different names. He is everywhere in the book. Did you see him? Some of you may recognize this as a 1994 Darrow Star minivan. It is a classic, and it is also my family's car as I grew up. It is the car that I inherited as I went off to Brigham Young University. And you can imagine how cool I was driving that puppy around campus. Um, it was actually, it was the second vehicle I had at college. The first one was this truck. It was my grandma's. It was black and orange, so Halloween themed. It had a big wrinkle down the side where it had been run into, and we called it Todd, which stood for truck of death. But it was quickly replaced by the Shaggin' Wagon, which is the um, blue and silver race-striped Ford Aerostar you see before you. It is not this exact one. This actually looks a lot better than ours. Um, but my parents were nice enough to let my sister and I use it. And so I remember, uh, as we were at college together, so I remember I, I, I had a, that one day, I was alone in the car, and the sun was setting, and I am like over the moon, which is a funny phrase, about sunsets. Um, I love them, um, and I will do a lot of things to get to places where I can see them. This particular day down in Provo, the sun was setting, and it was one of those sunsets where the sun is just massive on the horizon. You've seen these, right? It was just huge. And I was just like, wow! So I pulled over into this parking lot of a certain apartment complex. I could tell you exactly where I was, where I could kind of see the sun setting right between the different buildings. There was a space, and I could see the horizon. I could see the sun going down. And I was just staring at it, because it was huge. And it felt like you could see the sun flares, and it was kind of like, you know, all wavy. You know how it does that? And I just was like fascinated at, at what I could see and how big it was and all of that. And so eventually it set and I drove on my way. Well, unfortunately, um, I had some eye damage from staring incessantly at the sun for a long period of time. And what happened is it had completely burned out a circle in the middle of my vision. I couldn't see the middle. I could only see around the edge. So I'm trying to drive home with looking diagonally so I can see out of my peripheral vision the road, which I probably should have just not driven. 
but that didn't occur to me. And so by the time I get home, I, I remember sitting down on the steps in front of my apartment and looking at the building across from me and just seeing this massive sun circle that had been burned out of my retina or whatever part of my eye and thinking, what am I going to do now for the rest of my life? Because um, it was like, you know when you get your picture taken, you see that flash and you see the dots after? It was like I had a huge one of those in the middle of all of my vision. And I, everywhere I looked, I just saw this circle in, superimposed with that like, you know, flash colored afterlight. And I was really concerned about what I had done to my eyes. Well, you'll be glad to hear that eventually the effect faded as it does when you have your picture taken and eventually you stop seeing those flashes. It just took a lot longer. And my vision went back to normal and I continued on with life and here we are today. It was sometime later I was thinking about that experience and it made me think about the analogy with the S-O-N sun, to my experience, to the S-U-N sun. When I had stared at the sun long enough, suddenly, no matter where I was in life and no matter what I was doing, I saw it on top of everything and in everything. My testimony is that when we stare at the sun, S-O-N, long enough, directly enough, not obliquely, that we will begin to see him everywhere. In our everyday lives, he will be superimposed upon and in everything we do. We will see a mountain and see the mountain of the Lord's house. We will see the sun in the sky and think of him who will come from the east in glory. We will see the moon and think of a, a, a body that reflects the light of the Father and gives light to the earth in our dark times. We will see the lilies of the field and remember how he clothes us. We will see the birds of the sky and remember how not one will fall to the ground without him knowing. And on and on. We will see him in our life. And so is it in the Book of Mormon. If we look directly for him, and at him, we will see him everywhere. Moses 6 has a great scripture describing this from the Pearl of Great Price. Let me get there. Moses 6, verse, I think it's 63. Yes, yeah, 63. And behold, all things have their likeness, and all things are created and made to bear record of me, both things which are temporal and things which are spiritual, things which are in the heavens above, which are in the earth, and which are in the... Uh, on the earth, which are in the earth, and things which are under the earth, both above and beneath all things, bear record of me. And so it is in the Book of Mormon. Sure, we have talked about Nephi and Alma and Abinadi and all these fantastic stories. So oh, Helen Sullivan is needed in the nursery. There she is. Okay. We've talked about all these stories and all these amazing things and doctrines, but did you see him in all of that? Because he is there, as we said, every 1.7 verses at least. He is the tree of life in the Book of Mormon. He is the rod that leads us to it, his word. He is the path as he is the way, the truth, and the life. He was the light, as we talk about Nephi and, and Lehi and his family, Maybe he doesn't seem that he is there, but he is the light that led them through the wilderness. He is the Liahona in there in our lives. He is the gardener of the olive tree vineyard in the allegory in Jacob. He is the great God and the great spirit that was known by Lamoni and, and his father. 
He is the general to Captain Moroni. He is the one that protected Samuel from being hit by arrows while upon a wall testifying of him. His coming and mortality saved a people. He is the good shepherd, the savior, the light, and the life of third Nephi. It is he who brought down prison walls. It is he who healed the sick. He is he who delivered peoples who were captive and imprisoned. It is he who lit the stones and blew the barges that took the Jaredites to the promised land. It is he who spoke with the brother of Jared in his pre-mortal state. And it is he that stayed with and lifted Mormon and Moroni as they watched their people destroyed to the end. He is in every aspect of the Book of Mormon and it is about him. Did you see him? Or did you just see the story? And I'd ask the same of me. It is the same in our lives as well. If we, ha if we look directly at him, we will see that just as he was there every time and every moment with Nephi and Moroni and Alma and Abinadi and the sons of Mosiah and Mormon and everyone else, that just as he was always there, though sometimes maybe we didn't quite notice, so he is always there in your life. If you have eyes to see, what you look at you will see, and if you look directly at him, I testify, you will see him everywhere in your life as well. So number one, the Book of Mormon is about Christ. He is the principal figure. Number two, the, the Book of Mormon's purpose is to bring us to Christ. We saw this in the first lesson on the title page of the Book of Mormon. It's its stated purpose. It says, which is to show unto the remnant of the house of Israel what great things the Lord hath done for their fathers, that they may know that the covenants, that they may know the covenants of the Lord, that they are cast off, not cast off forever, and also to the convincing of Jew and Gentile that Jesus is the Christ, the eternal God, manifesting himself unto all nations. That is the, that is the purpose of the Book of Mormon, to testify, and not only testify, but convince Jew and Gentile, everyone, that Jesus is the Christ and to come unto him. And it has power to do so. Joseph Smith said this, I told the brethren that the Book of Mormon was the most correct of any book on earth and the keystone of our religion, and that a man would, draw, would get nearer to God by abiding by its precepts than by any other book. So once again, I ask you, what was your ROI on your study of the Book of Mormon? Did you abide by its precepts and did you come unto him? Because that is why men used and wasted out their lives to give us this book. The book begins with the message of come unto Christ. It is mentioned in the 14th verse. As Lehi has his dream, he sees the throne in the heavens and he testifies of the greatness of the Lord God Almighty and that he will not suffer those who come unto him that they shall perish. That is the first mention of come. Nephi in chapter six gives his purpose for writing the small plates and he says this, for the fullness, the completeness, the entirety of my intent is that I may persuade men to come unto the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob and be saved. That is why he is writing. And he gives instructions to anyone who follows after him to do the exact same. I need another piece of paper. Plates are then passed eventually to Jacob. In Jacob chapter 1, verses 1 through 2, Jacob reiterates that, that Nephi has given him this charge to write 
what will bring people the fullness of his intent to, to have men come unto God and be saved, unto Christ and be saved. And so Jacob says that he will write upon these plates a few of the things which I consider to be most precious, and he will not talk about history. And he continues on, he says that the heads of these precious things shall be graven upon these plates for Christ's sake. And verse 7, that they labor diligently that we may persuade them to come unto Christ and partake of the goodness of God, that they may enter into his rest, that they may come. The theme is continued at the end of the book of Jacob as he signs off. He hands the, the place to his son Enos and gives him the same commandment that Nephi had given. What does Enos write? Well, Enos then writes the story of his own story, his own story of coming into Christ, his own conversion and his wrestle with God. That is how he responds to the injunction that these plates, this record's intent, is to bring men unto Christ. The, the record, the injunction continues. It's Amalekai, who's the last writer on the um, small plates before Mormon changes to his abridgment of the large plates. He finishes in Omni, chapter 1, verse 26, with this injunction. And now, my beloved brethren, I would that ye should come unto Christ, who is the Holy One of Israel, and partake of his salvation and the power of his redemption. Yea, come unto him and offer your whole souls as an offering unto him, and continuing in fasting and prayer and endure to the end. And the, as the Lord liveth, ye shall be saved. And it continues on. On the large plates, Mormon, in his words of Mormon that bridges the two sets of plates, gives as his same purpose. Their prayer is concerning my brethren that they may once again come to the knowledge of Christ and the redemption and the redemption or the knowledge of God and the redemption that is in Christ. And then we have the stories of people who do that. And then we end, bookending the entire record. Well, um, is Moroni saying the same thing? Moroni 10, his last words, yea, come unto Christ and be perfected in him. The whole book, from Nephi's first stated purposes to Moroni's final words, is an invitation for us to come unto Christ. That is the purpose of the book. I had an interesting, and I'd invite you to do this. Um, I looked in the topical guide under the word come, or maybe the index. I think I did the index. Under the word come for the Book of Mormon. Let me see if I can find it quickly. It was fascinating to read the, the entries that had been put here and the, the consistency of the message of the Book of Mormon in relationship to the word come. First Nephi, in the intent of Nephi is to persuade men to come unto God. All men must come unto the Son, or they cannot be saved. Because of intercession for all, all men come unto God. Come unto God, who is the rock of your salvation. Come unto the Holy One of Israel. The Lord invites all to come to him, denies none that come. The Lord will be merciful unto the Gentiles if they repent and come. Come with a full purpose of heart and cleave unto God. And now I'm only through the book of Jacob reading those. And those are only the ones that they chose to list in the index. The book is replete with the word come or with the message to come unto Christ. Uh, we have talked about how the Book of Mormon is a handbook for the last days. It teaches us how to live in wickedness, or in, live in wickedness. That's funny. How to live in times of wickedness. Um, and I would argue that even more so, it is a handbook for how to come unto Christ. It does it as it teaches us the doctrines of Christ. 2 Nephi 31, 3 Nephi 20 are great examples of, of this. Um, or 
sorry, I think that's 3 Nephi 18. It gives us um, the principles that we should live, that by living those, by, as Joseph Smith, abiding in those principles, abiding by those pre- precepts, that we will come into Christ. It gives us the steps of how to do it. It pleads with us, as I just read, to actually do it, to come unto Christ. And it tells us story after story, case study after case study of people who actually did it, and many of those who don't. And what happens? From Enos to Alma the Elder to Alma the Younger to King Benjamin's people, Limhi, the Anti-Nephi-Lehi's, um, and Lamoni, and on and on. Case studies. It's the doctrine of why and who and how, the principles of how to go about it, the pleading that we do it, and the examples of those who have. So as we study the Book of Mormon sisters going forward and as we consider it, may we think about how It is inviting us to come into Christ, and that it is a book about Christ. In the recent past, I have seen no more masterful example of this than Cynthia Williams' lesson last week. She did amazing on teaching us to see when she could have talked about baptism for infant children, to then say, here's how I saw Christ. Instead of doing a discourse simply on the gifts of the Spirit, looking for what do these teach me about Christ or how do they draw me to Christ. That is the story of the Aerostar minivan. Look for him and you will see him, and you will see him everywhere. So then how? What have you learned from the Book of Mormon about how we come into Christ? If that is its purpose, is it succeeding at it? Any comments? What have you learned from the Book of Mormon about how we come into Christ? Any thoughts? Right here. Humility is essential. Sister Hales. Go to the temple regularly. Thank you. Anything else? What does the Book of Mormon teach us about how to come into Christ? If that's the purpose, if he's a central figure, and the purpose of the writers is to get us to come to him, then how do we do it? Wait for the mic. It's coming. Um, I can't remember what scripture it is, but my dad always quotes it, and it's one talking about like our master, our, like the person we serve, and it says you can't know a master that you don't serve. Yeah. So I feel like serving him is a great way to get Thank him. you. How knoweth a man the master whom he has not served, or who is far from the thoughts and intents of his heart? Beautiful verse. Any other thoughts? How? Right up here in the front, Corinne. At the, re- at the recent women's conference, the leaders of the ladies' organization spoke, and they had a list of questions people submitted, mm-hmm. and it was fascinating to watch them answer them because in every answer, they interspersed a scripture that would help them meet that problem that they had, and they just used that as part of the natural conversation. And Thank you. So always going back to, to the words the of Christ. Uh-huh. Yeah, thank you. That's that same idea of seeing him everywhere. Any others? Well, it's actually a little bit of a tough question, I think, only because there is so much that you could answer it with. The whole thing is about it. You should say, like, trick question, Becca. The whole thing. That's what it's about. And that is true. Um, 
For example, humility, a broken heart and a contrite spirit, the necessity of having a sincere heart as we come unto him and have that desire, gaining knowledge of Christ and the very points of his doctrine, faith in Christ and his gospel, repentance, a prayer for mercy, a prayer, a cry for mercy, reconciliation with others, baptism, continuing obedience, um, enduring to the end. Christ himself taught how to come to him. If you want to know how to come into Christ, there's no better way than hearing it from him himself. And as he teaches of his doctrine in 3 Nephi, he teaches those exact points, faith, repentance, baptism, um, coming unto him. Um, we don't have time for it. There's a great quote from a talk called Broken Things to Mend, if you want to look it up. It's a great talk to watch. I've referenced it multiple times by Elder Holland, where he talks about coming unto Christ. That first, he says, so how does one come unto Christ in response to this constant invitation? The scriptures give scores of examples and avenues. The easiest and earliest comes simply with the desire of our hearts, the most basic form of faith that we know. Second, we must change anything we can change that may, might be part of the problem. In short, we must repent. Third, in as many ways as possible, we try to take upon us his identity. We begin by taking upon us his name in the saving ordinances of the gospel. Following these most basic teachings, a splendor of connections to Christ opens up to us in multitudinous ways, prayers, fasting, meditation, savoring the scriptures, service to others, succoring the weak, lifting up the hands which hang down, above all else, loving, loving with the pure love of Christ, that gift that never faileth, that beareth all things, believeth all things, and hopeth all things. Soon, with that kind of love, we realize our days hold scores of thoroughfares leading to the master, and that every time we reach out, however feebly for him, we discover he has been anxiously trying to reach us. So we step, we strive, and we never yield. That's about half of it. There are multitudinous ways, I love that word, that, as he mentioned, scores of thoroughfares to the master if we look for them. Moroni 10, Moroni summarizes them. As I considered, how have I tried to come into Christ? What have I found successful in coming unto him in my life? What have I learned from the Book of Mormon? Moroni's verse um, in chapter 10 summarized it for me. He says, come unto Christ and be perfected in him, and deny yourselves of all ungodliness. So one, repent. Take away the barriers. Anything in your life, if it is media, if it is um, a hard heart, if, it is if there is something in your life that is keeping you from him, then follow the example of King Lamoni in Alma 22, 18, and be willing to give away all things that you may know God. Deny yourself of all ungodliness. Lay hold upon every good thing, as Moroni teaches. And he says, and if you shall deny yourself of all ungodliness, first you've got to get rid of the things that are blocking him out of your life, that are keeping him from you, that deny the Spirit of God, and then love God with all your might, mind, and strength. That, for me, is how I, when I thought about it, my best successes and efforts at coming unto Christ have been simply in turning and looking to him. They have been in look unto me in every thought, doubt not and fear not, of giving him my broken hearts, my lonely moments. It has been trusting in him when I don't know how things are going to turn out, when I am very scared. It has been turning my will over him and trying to serve him. It is recognizing him and everyone around me and trying to serve him through them. Heart, might, mind, and strength. How can you give one more of these to him? 
I wanted to end with um, just two thoughts, and then I want to play a song. Um, and I'm already over time. Well, I'm close. Um, two thoughts, and I will end. Number one, as you look at, I, this is those same verses I just read, verses Moroni 10, 32 through 33, and I've already given it away. But there is one word that is repeated five times. What is it? In. Be perfected in him. You may be perfect in Christ. By the, if by the grace of God you are perfect in Christ, again, perfect in Christ, sanctified in Christ, that word caught my attention. Why is it in? Why is it not by? Be perfected by Christ. Why is it not through? Be perfected through Christ. Be perfected because of Christ. Why is it in? Any thoughts before we wrap up? Yeah. If it's in, then we are becoming like him. Yes, I absolutely believe that. And in fact, he even prays something a little bit stronger. Yes, we are to become like him, even as he is. We had a whole lesson on that. But in, in 3 Nephi 19, when he is praying, he says, I pray unto, now, Father, I pray unto thee for them, and all those who shall believe on their words, that is you, that they may believe in me, that I may be in them as thou, Father, art in me that we may be one. He wants to come and live, as C.S. Lewis has said it. He is intending to build a palace for himself where he will dwell. He wants to abide in us and for us to abide in him. And then as joint beings, as the closest analogy, and it's used scripturally that I could think of, is a marriage, that you become one, that you go to judgment as one, that you live as one, that he is in you and you are in him. And it is not false hope. He, if you come unto him, he says that he will accept you. He says his arms, arms are open and blessed are those who come unto me, for them will I receive, Third Nephi 9. His intent is to perfect us, but not from a distance. His intent is to become one with us and us in him. And that in him, because of his perfection and not ours, that we will become perfect in Christ. He is enough and more, as we have discussed. And that is how. So how do we become in Christ? Well, as Elder Holland says, we take upon us his identity in as many ways as possible. His name at baptism. His flesh and blood at the sacrament every week. His temple garments, names, and other symbols in the temple and we keep those covenants. We turn to him, we look to him, we see him everywhere. Look unto me in every thought, and we become in him. I have a, I'll end with this, even though I have many more things. Um, I wanted to play a song, I believe in the power of music. This song is called Love Divine, I'll Love Excelling. The lyrics were written by Charles Wesley, um, and they described for me the idea of inviting Christ in to you, to abide in you, and then him making, with his perfection, him making you a glorious new creation. 
So listen for that. I hope you can understand the diction. Um, and then I'll, I'll bear my testimony and finish. Oh, wait for it. Song, sorry, one sec. It's called Love Divine, I'll Love Excelling. We didn't test this before. Let me see if we can get it to work. If not. Is it going to work? Well, we may be out of luck. Um, so I will end since we're already over time. No, it's okay. I don't know what's wrong. Um, no, I don't want it to go off just inexplicably. Um, I recommend it to you. Um, I, maybe I'll, well, um, here are the lyrics. Love divine, all love's excelling. Joy of heaven to earth come down. Fix in us thy humble dwelling, all thy faithful mercies crown. Jesus, thou art all compassion, pure and bounded love thou art. Visit us with thy salvation, enter every trembling heart. Breathe, O oh, breathe, thy loving spirit into every troubled breast. Let us all in thee inherit. Let us find that second rest. Take away our love to sinning, Alpha and Omega B, and of faith as its beginning, set our hearts at liberty. Come, Almighty, to deliver. Let us all thy life receive. Suddenly return and never, never more thy temples leave. Net thee we would be always blessing, serve thee as thy hosts above. Pray and praise thee without ceasing. Glory in thy perfect love. And then this. Finish then thy new creation. Pure and spotless let, us, spotless let us be. Let us see thy great salvation perfectly restored in thee. Change from glory into glory, till in heaven we take our place, till we cast our crowns before thee, lost in wonder, love, and praise. And thus we see that great Book of Mormon phrase that all the lessons, as I said, have been only one lesson. They have only been to come unto him. I testify with the writers of the Book of Mormon that the record is true. Moroni and Nephi both say that they will see us at the pleasing bar of God. I believe we will see Joseph there as well. Those are the three great men that brought the Book of Mormon into our lives. At that moment, we will, be in, we will have to um, answer for ourselves, I think, what we did with that book that they gave their lives to give us. I testify from my side and for my part that the Book of Mormon is a witness of Christ. It is the proof of a, of a prophet. It is a sign of the coming of the Lord and of his last days, and it is a handbook for us to come unto Christ. I testify that it is true. I testify that all the things that we have taught over the past two years are true, that the book is a marvelous work and wonder. It is a miracle. And most of all, I testify that if we abide by its precepts, if we look for him in it, we will see him everywhere. We will become as he is. We will become one with him and perfected in him. I, guess I uh, invite us to do this, to look for him everywhere, to see him everywhere, and to come unto him through every of those multitudinous thoroughfares that we have been given. And I say it in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.